It's Morning Edition on KUT 90.5. I'm Jennifer Staten. Early voting continues through this Friday, two days from now, for the November 6th election. And we know in this contentious election year, there was high interest in voter registration. But attention has turned now to voting itself. Depending on which rating you look at, Texas ranks dead last or near the bottom in voter turnout. So during this election season, we've tried to make the process of voting less mysterious or daunting with resources and coverage on the air and online at KUT.org to help inform you both about the voting process and what's on the ballot. And that coverage continues now with our panel of four KUT reporters who will help us walk through exactly what's on the ballot and will answer some of the questions you have submitted about the voting process. So let's start with introductions, everybody. Who are you and what do you cover for KUT. Hi, I'm Audrey McGlinchey, and I cover City Hall for KUT. I'm Ashley Lopez. I cover politics and healthcare. I'm Saida Hassan. I cover development and affordability. And I'm Ben Philpott. I'm the senior editor here at KUT, uh, but also covering politics and policy. All right, great. Thanks, everybody, for doing this this morning. And just a couple of reminders about early voting. First of all, it continues through this Friday, November 2nd. In Travis County, people can vote anywhere during early voting and on Election Day. Williamson County is the same. Voters there can vote anywhere during early voting and on Election Day. Now, in Hayes County, people can vote anywhere during early voting, but on Election Day, Hayes County voters must vote in their precinct. And what we thought would be useful would be to take kind of a stroll through a typical ballot so that voters know what they'll see when they go to vote. Now, we're not going to have time to drill down on every race on the ballot, but we're going to try to cover as much as we can. And of course, you can always find more information and resources at KUT.org. So at the top of the ballot, when you go to vote, you're going to see an option to vote straight party. And in Texas, your options are Republican, Democratic, or Libertarian. And we actually got some questions about what's been going on with straight ticket voting. So we've been hearing about some problems with that. And a couple of the questions that we've gotten about straight ticket voting, somebody wrote in, I voted straight ticket Democrat. I went to click the final button and it flashed across the screen Republican. So that was somebody submitting a concern about that. Another question was, how can I confirm after the fact, days later, that my votes register the way I intended? if I voted straight ticket. Yeah, we've heard a lot of um, concerns about this. There are a couple of people who have been tripped up by the machines. You know, I'm not really sure what's going on. It sounds like uh, people are just moving through, like, too quickly through the screens. Um, the best thing to do is just check your ballot at the end. There's an option. It's the last screen, and it has, I, I guess, you know, in most of Travis County, because we have the ballot measures, it's like two screens. Just look through, make sure you know, your ballot was cast the way it's intended. Um, and then, you know, if it's wrong, you can ask a poll worker to restart the process for you. I mean, that's easy enough to catch. Now, can you check that after the fact? No, that's not really an option. Um, you know, it is what it is. You know, this, and, and, and I will say both these problems are going to be going away in the next election. Not only are these kind of older machines, which ha are kind of clunky, you know, and not as responsive as maybe the smartphone in your pocket. Like we're getting new machines during the constitutional election new year, uh, next year. And then um, straight party, this is the last time we have straight ticket voting. Um, right. Yeah, because that's going away. So Yeah, that will not be an option the next time we go to yeah. the polls. Now, another question about voting and party, can voters only vote for the party they are registered for? Uh, this is my favorite question, because we get it about once every week or so um, on our uh, 
on our Texas Decides questionnaire thing. Uh, there is no such thing as party registration in Texas. So you can vote. Well, first of all, in a general election, you're allowed to vote for whoever is on the ballot. Libertarian, Green Party, if they're on the ballot, independents, write-ins, you know, official write-ins. You can do whatever you want. Um, and again, we don't have party registration. The only time you only get to pick from one party is during a party primary, and uh, uh, then you decide which party you're going, to, which primary you're going to be voting in in the first place, and then you just have that party to vote from. But when you register to vote in Texas, unlike some other states, you don't register with a party. No, we have uh, everyone is allowed to go to whatever primary they want, and if they want to switch the next time there's a primary, they can without filling out a single bit of paperwork. So Ben, you mentioned other parties on the ballot: Libertarian Party, Green Party. Another question we got from listeners: How are third or other party candidates handled in Texas? Do their names appear on the ballot, too? Um, yes, they do. The Libertarian Party does. Libertarian Party has been able to qualify for a spot on the ballot. Now, that qualification comes every two years. They have to re-up. All parties have to re-up. But if, if you don't meet the threshold, which I'm blanking, but I believe the threshold is 10% of a vote. So, in any election, if you get 10% uh, of your party uh, getting that vote, then you qualify to be on the ballot two years later. For the next one. For the next one. So libertarians have been able to do that. Libertarians have uh, official spots that they don't have to do any petitioning for. They just enter their names and they say, hey, Secretary of State, put us down, and they're down. Green Party, other third parties, no, they do not have that. They have not been able to reach that threshold. And so they have had to put in petitions and get everything signed and get all this stuff done to be to be able to get on the ballot, which is harder, obviously, than a automatic position. And so there aren't many candidates at all beyond Libertarian. All right. So moving down the ballot, the next race that we're going to see is the United States Senate. GOP incumbent Ted Cruz being challenged by Democratic Congress member Beto O'Rourke. Ashley, you've been, you've covered this race a lot. You've been to a lot of rallies. You've been to a lot of events. How are things sort of winding down? What is the mood now as we're getting closer to the actual election day? Yeah, little known race. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of money in this race. So I, I think most people kind of know <laughs> who's on the ballot at this point. If not, I mean, you have managed to escape <laughs> a lot of ads. Um, you know, right now it's not as close as it, as, as the, the polls had it before. So there's maybe, you know, less momentum than there was behind Beto O'Rourke. Um, but, you know, I will say that Beto O'Rourke supporters have been really fired up and um, kind of inspired by him. He's been, um, you know, he's run a different kind of campaign. And yeah, he's gotten closer than any other Democrat. So uh, than any other Democrat in the statewide election has gotten in a long time to winning an election. So there's definitely a lot of energy behind Beto O'Rourke. But, you know, Ted Cruz's supporters have been saying this entire campaign, even when the election was a lot closer in the polls, um, that they think this is Texas. This is a conservative state, and they haven't been too worried that a Democrat's going to win a Senate seat here mm -hmm. because it's been so long that Republicans have had a pretty, like, pretty strong, have had a stronghold here in Texas. So um, every time I went to rallies, people were like, yeah, I mean, that guy has me a little nervous, but I'm not actually concerned that Ted Cruz isn't going to win this thing. Ben, Ashley mentioned polls. Are you putting much stake in their polls and predictions. There have been so many. They've been all over the place. They've been changing. How do you sort of follow and assess those given the wide variability there? I think that polling uh, that we've had in Texas of likely voters has probably been a pretty good snapshot. Uh, the difference is 
uh, or, or where you might see a difference on election day is whether or not unlikely voters are coming out. You know, this is what happened in 2016. You had the likely voter polls showing that Secretary Clinton would win in a handful of states that she didn't because it was unlikely voters, people that had not voted in several years or maybe ever before, coming to those polls supporting President, uh, then candidate Trump. Uh, and that's how, you know, the, the quote polls were wrong in those states. So I think that th- that's what you're going to have to think about on election day when the results start to come in. The polls are giving a good snapshot of likely voters. We don't know, and you can't really poll what the unlikely voters will do. What about when a subject comes up like uh, President Trump wanting to challenge and get rid of birthright citizenship? That just happened yesterday in the middle of early voting, not long before election day. Is an issue like that likely to impact this election? Any, uh, Any congressional elections? Do you see any impact from that? Yeah, I mean, Ben and I were talking about yep, this yep. yesterday. It seems like the cake is baked at this point. Like, you know, I I think Ted Cruz's views on immigration haven't changed. Neither have Beto O'Rourke's. A situation, you know, a, a conversation like this comes around, and I think most people who've been paying attention know which way um, these candidates um, are going to land on an issue like this. So, I mean. A lot of it is is just turnout. It, this all depends on what issues rile up what part of whose base. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move down the ballot now. What you'll see next on the ballot is voting for your member of Congress. And, of course, that's going to vary ballot to ballot depending on what district you live in. Ben, if you could give us a quick rundown on the Central Texas races. There are a couple where... The incumbent is not running, so there's some open seats. Yeah, we've got seven seven congressional races that we kind of consider Central Texas. Four of them have incumbent GOP. Uh, one of them has an incumbent Democrat. Uh, one of them has no incumbent, and one of them kind of has an incumbent. Uh, and that's the uh, cent- uh, the Congressional District 27, which runs from Bastrop down to the Gulf of Mexico. That was the seat of uh, Republican Blake Farenthold. He resigned after it was discovered that he had spent several thousand dollars in campaign funds to uh, to clear up a sexual assault or sexual uh, harassment allegation. Excuse me. Um, so we had a special election. And uh, now Congressman Republican Michael M- Michael Cloud was elected just a f- couple of months ago. Uh, he is now running again to retain, to, to take over a full term of that seat. He's got a uh, Democrat, uh, Eric uh, Holgum, who also lost to him in the special election, is now back on the ballot also there. Uh, the other two races that are kind of of interest in Central Texas are uh, Congressional District 21, which runs from Austin down to San Antonio and out into the Hill Country. That's the retiring Republican Senator Lamar Smith. So we've got Republican Chip Roy, Democrat Joseph Kopser uh, on the ballot, also a Libertarian Lee Santos. Um, and there's a lot of money in that race, but it is a he- heavy Republican district. We'll see. Also, real quickly, sorry, MJ Hager and and Repo- uh, Democrat M.J. Hager and incumbent uh, Republican John Carter up in the Williamson County area. Uh, that is another race with a lot of money and a lot of attention, but with a large Republican historic lead. And we'll see if anything happens there. So moving down the ballot next, what you'll see are statewide races in Texas for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, comptroller, general land commissioner, agriculture commissioner, and railroad commissioner. Ashley and Ben, anything you want to point out briefly about those races? We're going to move on to what's on the city ballot next. Well, I think... Real briefly, all these races are are expected to have Republican incumbents win again. Um, there are three that are maybe a little closer. Uh, we've got the um, uh, the agriculture commissioner race with uh, incumbent Sid Miller and Democrat Kim Olson, uh, and the 
And then the, I'm sorry, here it is, the, the uh, lieutenant governor race, which might be a little closer. Also, that's incumbent Republican Dan Patrick and the Democrat Mike Collier. Uh, again, both of these races include Republicans that are maybe not as popular as other Republicans. And then there's a third one that I'm going to let Ashley take over on. <laughs> yeah, the attorney general race is actually pretty interesting. It started out pretty close in the summer um, and polls have them a little farther apart. But it's it's important to remember that the incumbent in this race, Ken Paxton, a Republican, um, has been indicted. Um, and so there are people like the political experts have been watching that because people who are indicted don't tend to uh, win re-election. But, you know, this is Texas, so who knows? And the person who's running against him is a Democrat, uh, Justin Nelson, actually here from Austin. He's a UT law professor, and he's been running a pretty rigorous campaign. I mean, his ads have been everywhere, you know, and he's been everywhere. <laughs> yeah. All right. So voters in the city of Austin moving down the ballot. There's some races for judge, justice of the peace, some other races. We're going to move down the ballot a little now and focus on city of Austin races. Going to turn to Audrey McGlinchey and Saeed Hassan. And Audrey and Saeed, first of all, what, what voters will see first in the city of Austin for folks who live in Austin is the race for mayor. Yeah. So regardless of where you live in Austin, you're going to vote for the mayor. Um, and uh, we have a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big race here, but there are two front runners, two folks who have raised the most money, and that is the incumbent, Mayor Steve Adler, um, and Laura Morrison, who is a former city council member. Um, and, you know, because here in Austin, um, in local elections, we tend to elect uh, more liberal, more progressive candidates. They are very similar on many issues. Um, but I think the biggest issue has been code next and this question of growth in the city. Um, and they have varying ideas about what to do with that. Now, the mayor is technically a member of the city council, but there are 10 other city council seats and those are by district. So there are some districts that are electing a city council member this time and some that are not. So first of all, explain why some people will see a council member on their ballot, but some people won't. So when we went to the 10-1 um, makeup of council, which we have now, which is representative districts, 10 districts, one mayor in 2014, um, we decided that we were going to stagger those elections. So, you know, we wouldn't have 10 city council races um, every four years. Instead, we have five city council races. Uh, we stagger them every two years, essentially. So um, if you fall on the ballot this year, um, then you're going to be voting not only for a mayor, but a new city council member as well. It is 949 and you're listening to Morning Edition on KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station. I'm Jennifer Staten with some live pre-election coverage. A panel of KUT reporters were walking you through what's on the ballot and answering some of your questions about the voting process. So Audrey McGlinchey was telling us about districts in the city of Austin. So which districts are on the ballot this go around? Um, so we have District 1. Um, the incumbent, Aura Houston, is not running, so that's a pretty wide open race. Um, we have District 3, which is, uh, the incumbent is running, that's Councilmember Pio Renteria. Um, that's uh, south, southeast Austin. Um, we have District 5, uh, Councilmember Ann Kitchen is running unopposed. Um, we have District, I'm trying to remember, District 8, uh, which is Southwest Austin. Again, the incumbent is not running. That's Councilmember Ellen Troxclair, so another wide open race. Um, and then we have District 9, um, which is uh, a small portion of East Austin near the university through downtown and through parts of South Austin. And the incumbent, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Kathy Tovo, is running there. Um, but she's had a bit of a challenger um, in Danielle Skidmore, who has outraced her, actually. So if you move down the ballot for Austin residents, then what you see next are a lot of propositions. And they've got letters next to them 
A through K. And so, Saida Hassan, tell us a little bit. They're kind of grouped into segments, too. So, A through G, they're sort of a group of propositions first. What what are those about? Right. So, uh, propositions A through G total seven bond propositions that uh, make up $925 million um, of a bond package that Austin voters will be deciding on. So, I won't talk to you about all of them because there's quite a lot of information there, but let's touch on some of the big ones. So, the very first proposition is Proposition A, which is a $250 million bond that would go towards supporting a affordable housing throughout Austin. That includes things like home repair programs, um, affordable home ownership opportunities, and uh, if approved, it would actually be the largest affordable housing bond that Austin voters have ever approved. There's also uh, another proposition, Proposition D, which is a $184 million proposition for flood mitigation, um, what's called open space and water quality protection. And that open space, um, that, that refers to buying and preserving undeveloped land with the goal of protecting water quality and preventing flooding moving forward. There's also um, another another major one, Proposition G, which is a $160 million measure that would fund several different transportation projects. That includes things like rebuilding roads, rehabbing sidewalks, and replacing the bridge over Ladybird Lake at Redbud Trail. All right, then there are propositions H and I, and those seem sort of more um, logistical than than uh, content-driven. What are those? Right. So th- those are not bond propositions. Proposition H would actually amend the city charter to change up the way that terms for members of the planning commission are calculated. So it has to do with, um, I, right now their terms are two-year terms, and I believe Proposition H says that they would be up to two years. So uh, if, if approved, it would allow for a little more wiggle room there. And then Proposition I is a, a fun one. It's actually essentially a spelling and grammar and punctuation check for the city charter. Well, that's very important. It is very important. <laughs> <laughs> Want to make sure that's always good. Um, now, J and K, these are these are petition-driven propositions that are on the ballot about land development changes and also an audit and efficiency. Explain what J and K are about. Sure. So, Proposition J um, came about when a group of citizens um, got a petition together, and they're asking um, they're asking a question saying, should every voter in the city of Austin have the right to approve or reject a comprehensive a comprehensive land development code rewrite. Uh, that's a lot of stuff, but basically, what that means is Code Next, which is going through a bit of a transformation right now. Um, but Code Next, which was an overhaul of uh, our zoning laws in the city, um, if something like that, which typically comes about every few decades, if uh, that should always go to a public vote. Uh, Proposition K um, asks if we should hire a third party to do an audit of every city department. We currently have a city auditor who goes department by department, um, but this is asking, should we spend the money to look at every department at once in the city? And would that also request that that be done by an outside auditor? Auditor as yes. opposed to the city's auditor. Yes, yeah, so it would be a third-party auditor. So those propositions, the bond proposition, other propositions, A through K on the ballot, we did get a question from a listener about sort of how these propositions work. And that question is, how common are the propositions on the ballot? So the listener went on to ask, if I vote against something this year, you could also ask the question, if I voted for something this year, however I voted, will it resurface again in the future? Do these 
propositions ever come back once we've seen them already? So with the bond propositions, they can come back whenever because they're initiated by council. Council votes and puts them on the ballot. Um, You know, we can see them again, you know, as soon as possible in the next election. So if something like, say, to mention Prop A, the affordable housing bond, if that fails, that could come back as soon as possible. But with the citizen-initiated propositions, like Proposition J and K, where a group of people get together and they collect at least 20 thousand signatures and submit it to the city clerk's office that actually um if it's if it's a proposition on the same subject then that actually has to wait two years before coming back and of course you'd have to do a whole new petition drive you can't use those same signatures so the petition process would have to start all over from the beginning and go through that process yeah and wait two years so lots of things for city of austin voters mayor some council seats bond propositions, other propositions. Are there any other local propositions on ballots around Central Texas that some other voters might see? There is a uh, interesting proposition in Round Rock on alcohol sales. Um, the proposition essentially just says, you know, to allow all different uh, all different types of alcohol sales. And the reason they need this is uh, if you uh, look back at how their alcohol sales have been allowed over the decades, it's been kind of patchwork and piecemeal. And, you know, whoever happens to be applying for it may get a different law than or may get a different approval than somebody that applied a decade earlier. So they've got something like 10 different ways that that people have been allowed to serve alcohol in the round in Round Rock and they want to essentially wipe that off and make it one way that everyone is is going to be uh, uh, ruled on this. And in our remaining time here, I want to go back and pick up something. Ashley, I want to ask this of you that's sort of sprinkled throughout the ballot. There are lots of races for judges on the ballot. State Supreme Court, Court of Criminal Appeals, um, Third Court of Appeals, District Judges, County Court at Law. For people who are moving to Austin or who haven't voted before, they may find it unusual that there are judges on the ballot. Explain to us about electing judges in Texas and why that is the way that Texas does it. Yeah, uh, Texas is actually doubly doubly unique in that we elect judges uh, for like the criminal appeals court that's state lo- that's statewide, um, and uh, and for the state supreme court. And these are all at large. And they're partisan. Like, that is not a thing that exists in a lot of other parts of the country. So, um, you know, everybody in the state elects everyone who sits on those benches. Um, And, yeah, they're partisan elections, which is very rare. Actually, there was a lawsuit that came up um, last year, and I think it was us. taken out of court, um, or it might be an appeal. I actually should look that up. Um, But there was an effort to actually get rid of that because the argument was that these at-large partisan elections kept um, Latinos from from getting on the bench. Um, Yeah, so it's been around for a little while, but it's very unique. And, and, you know, the effect of what that has on who sits on the bench is an open question. But yeah, if you're new to Texas, this is a thing we do here. Ashley Lopez, Saida Hassan, Audrey McGlinchey, and Ben Philpot from KUT News. Thank you all so much for walking us through the ballot that voters will see this early voting and election day. There are nine state house races and three state senate races also in Central Texas. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> yes, we ran out of time. There's much more on the ballot that we didn't get to, but you can find much more information about that at KUT.org. Also want to thank Nadia Hamdan, Matt Largy, and Jake Perlman with KUT for helping put this together this morning. A reminder, early voting in the November November 6th election runs through this Friday, November 2nd. Election day is next Tuesday, November 6th. You can find lots more election and voting information at KUT.org. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News.